Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Will you please stand with me for the call to worship? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Will you pray with me? We are grateful to enter your sanctuary this morning, Lord of the universe. You have promised to be among us when we gather and to inhabit the praises of your people. So show us more of you today, O God, for the sake of this world that you have made and love. And in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. What a great word for us as we begin worship today. This is the one. This is what life is about. This is what our worship is about. I'm so glad that you are here and joining in this time of worship today, those here in the sanctuary and those joining us on streaming. There are uh, some inserts in your bulletin, a number of, of announcements about things happening in the life of the church. I encourage you to read through those. Uh, let's take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others here in worship today.
Good morning. I want to begin by saying a thank you for those who participated by providing baked goods or for coming to the dessert auction on Friday in support of our upcoming sports ministry trip to Romania and Austria. We currently have a sports ministry class that uh, they're in the process of being trained in ministry and cultural uh, identities and such. Um, we'll be traveling to Romania first uh, on the outskirts of Bucharest, and we will also be going into Salzburg, Austria. Soccer will be a ministry tool that we'll be utilizing, and our theme will be to love and to serve in Jesus' name. Uh, we desire to work with uh, a wide range of people, and this is a follow-up trip to what we had done back in 2016. Uh, during that trip, we spent a lot of time in children's ministry, uh, particularly in, in Kalarashi, uh, Romania, working with the Hope Centers. Uh, during that time, we uh, conducted uh, a number of soccer clinics. We shared testimony and uh, singing and uh, just a involved with the, the people in that area. We, we uh, had a soccer tournament that we helped to run um, for the various Hope Centers, and they all came together, and uh, our players were a part of that. Uh, this year, the group that we have going consists of, uh, in the class, uh, members of the Houghton women's soccer team, uh, Houghton field hockey and softball team, and we have two players uh, from the Roberts Wesleyan women's soccer team joining us as well. A little extra mission work, I should say. Uh, when we were in Romania last time, in order to use the facility uh, for the tournament as well as for some of the match ministry we participated in, the stadium let us have it for free as long as we came and painted one day. So our, uh, our group uh, painted in the stadium. Uh, we also worked with a boys' orphanage, uh, 16 to 18-year-olds. A lot of times the orphanages that everybody wants to travel to and visit are those with children and babies, and, and they're lots of fun, and certainly that's a, a great thing. But the neglected are those who are older. No one really wants to be with them, and that's who we chose to work with. And we played a soccer match against their orphanage uh, boys' team, and they had never played women before, and they were shocked when the women beat them. So... <laughs> We are, uh, I, it's my understanding that they want a rematch, so most likely we will do that. Uh, we also did some street ministry, and uh, our time this time in Salzburg, Austria, will be working with the refugee community. Uh, there are many refugees there from Somalia, from Syria, from Iran and, and Iraq, and soccer is something that they do a lot of. And so we're going to go back, and uh, that's going to be our primary focus is working with the refugees uh, in that particular community. The churches and missionaries there have requested that, that we help them in their ongoing work, and that's what we'll be doing. I already understand, understand that there are two men's teams within the refugee community that wants to play us, so that'll be an interesting experience for our group. But uh, I want to thank uh, Houghton Wesleyan Church for your prayers and your support over the years for sports ministry, and we would appreciate your prayer at this time as well. So thank you. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and will not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. 
Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, It is no use. We'll continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Inquire among the nations, who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Do its cool waters from distant sources ever stop flowing? Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. They made them walk in byways, on roads not built up. Their land will be an object of horror and of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. Like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before their enemies. I will not, I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join me in singing the doxology as our ushers come forward. Pray with me. Thank you, O God, for your endless generosity, your self-emptying for all of creation. Make us like you as we give this morning. Teach us to think of others above ourselves, to give without hesitation, without fear, and without expectation of return, just as you do. Empowered by your Holy Spirit. And in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for your glory, Father. Amen.
At the cross of Christ, we um, we come face to face with the grace of God and with the truth about ourselves. And I think that we experience the grace of God most effectively when we embrace the truth about ourselves. So let us join together in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful Lord, you have told us that if we love you, then we are to do so with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. While knowing this command, we confess that instead of living in total surrender, we have resolved to give you just enough. We declare you are Lord with our mouths, but we do not affirm it with our lives. We follow the path of ease and comfort instead of choosing to live in faithful obedience. We hoard all that we can instead of trusting you for our daily bread. We seek vain recognition instead of bringing you glory. Forgive us, Lord, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions that have hindered us and other people from experiencing your great love. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your great love. Your love that offers us forgiveness, and grace, and mercy, and life. As we stand beneath the cross of Jesus, we are reminded of your great love. We are reminded of our great need. We are reminded of the struggles and the burdens of our world. As we gather today, Father, we pray for your grace upon all who are grieving today. We pray for the family of Kay Lindley. We pray for the family of Jerry Alderman, who died this week. We ask that, that your comforting presence would be, would be so clearly aware, they would be so clearly aware of your presence, their grief and loss and pain. And we pray that for all among us who feel a sense of grief and pain. We pray, Father, for your healing power in our, in our health issues, in the diseases and the struggles that, that come to us. We pray especially today for Leonard Watson, Leighton Saniset, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Ryan Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others who come to our minds today. May your healing power be evident in each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church for the ways in which you give us the privilege of, of teaching one another and challenging and encouraging each other. And we thank you for the ministries of, of churches all around us. I think today of the Belfast United Methodist Church and Pastor Nancy Russell. May your blessing be upon this gathering of believers, this, this group of Christians, as they serve you and serve one another and serve their community. Father, we... We pray for our nation. We pray that you would give wisdom to the leaders of our nation all throughout the governments, different branches and stages of government in our nation. We pray, Father, that you would help us as a nation and as a world as we wrestle with recovering from tragedies and disasters and even another tragedy this week. We ask, Father, that, that you will give your grace and your peace in the midst of turmoil and chaos and pain. 
in this country and in other countries of the world. Father, we pray for refugees who are just trying to to find a way to, to get back home and to live in safety. We pray that you will provide that. We pray for places where war and violence are just life and ask that you would bring your peace. We pray for your grace upon your church. We thank you for this opportunity that that the women's soccer team here has in going to Austria and Romania. We pray, Father, that as they prepare, that you will prepare their hearts and their minds. And as they go, may they go in the power of your spirit. And may the fruit be more than they could have ever dreamed. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in India. There are many places of India where the church is flourishing amidst freedom. But there are also many places where there is great opposition and difficulty, persecution. We pray for the believers in these difficult places. That you will give them courage and strength. Even when those closest to them them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Open our eyes to your presence with us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we surrender to you. And we ask all of this through the mercy of Christ who goes to the cross for us and who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
stand in honor of the gospel reading. From Matthew chapter 27. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Children may now be dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. I suspect that most of us would consider ourselves common, ordinary people. We talk about the the great people of history, I would guess most of us would not say that's me. On the other extreme, I doubt if any of us would say uh, we, are, uh, we are people who have, um, who have been the, the dregs of society either. And I don't think that's only when we talk about just general life. I think that's true when we talk about our spiritual lives. We talk about the great giants of our faith. Probably most of us think of someone else. When we talk about people who are famous, we think about someone else. And when we talk about people who are infamous to the Christian faith, hopefully we're talking about someone else. We just sort of view ourselves as common, ordinary people. And sometimes when we read the scriptures... There is maybe within us a tendency to find it difficult to identify. We're not Judas, but we're not Moses either. We're just common, ordinary people. Common, ordinary followers of Jesus. When we look at the people who surround the cross, we think about the people upon whom the shadow of the cross falls we might not be able to completely identify with Pilate or the scribes and the Pharisees or even the 12 disciples who spend three plus years in the very presence of Jesus. And we might be tempted to think that's about other people. But I think the gospel writers give us a hint that it's about us too. In the 15th chapter of Mark, in the 27th chapter of Matthew, we read about Simon of Cyrene who carries the cross for Jesus and they put him on the cross. And then you come to verse verse 39 of chapter 27 and it talks about people passing by. It says, the people passing by, people walking on the road, these are just common Everyday people like you and me. They weren't in Pilate's Hall. They don't have power in the synagogue or the temple. They aren't Roman soldiers. There's people passing by. You think about passing by, you you think about those places in between destinations. We've started here, we're going on a trip, and we want to get to there. And everything in between is pretty much just places we pass by. Around here, if you're driving to Buffalo or Rochester or Olean or anywhere else, there are lots of little towns that we just pass by. I mean, there are some times where, you know, you drive the same road over and over again, and I stop and think, did we go by that town already? I can't remember now. Every so often I think about people who are driving on 19 who aren't from around here, just going from someplace else to someplace else. I wonder if they ever pass through this town and think, I wonder why anybody would live there. Now, if we live here, you might be asking, why does anybody live here? But, you know, I I just wonder, what do they think about? Because when you drive through town, there's a couple of restaurants on 19, but it's mainly just some houses. And if you didn't know any better, if you never went up the hill and saw the academy and the college you would wonder, what is it that draws people to live in this place? Because for everybody else, it's just a place passing through, just like the other communities that we pass through. You're just passing by. And there are people in the story of the cross that are just passing by. Now, it's not, what thing is, if people were going to stop here in Houghton, Something would have to cause them to stop. Maybe they are, they're passing through and all of a sudden they get hungry. 
for Chinese food. There it is. Let's go eat. Or for pizza or for subs. Maybe they, it's Memorial Day weekend and they see the, the yard sale down at the fire hall. Let's stop. Or maybe they see something out in somebody's yard that says free and they said, let's stop. Something has to cause people passing through to stop. And with people passing by in, in this road going in and out of Jerusalem, something causes them to stop. And what is it? It's an execution. I got to be honest, I've been racking my brain all week thinking, who stops for an execution? Makes me think of the, you know, the old West when, when people would gather around when they were having executions and stories of people bringing picnic baskets and making a whole day of this thing. I think, wow, that was a different time, right? It's not for an execution. Now, it, this road is a, one of the main roads running in and out of Jerusalem, and that's intentional. The Romans have something planned here. You know, for us, when we have executions, we try to, to make them as private and away from people as possible. Let, let's just sort of push that back there and not think about it. The Romans were the, exactly the opposite because they wanted to make a point. You know what happens to people who oppose the Roman government? That kind of thing happens to people. That's why Pilate put the sign, King of the Jews, on the top of it. You want to be a king? You want to try to revolt? This is where you end up. Maybe you want to think twice about that. And these people are, are, the city is teeming with pilgrims. It's Passover. This is one of the times of the, of the year when people would flock to Jerusalem for this great celebration. And, and there are many, many people on this road walking by and they stop. What's fascinating to me is that when they stop, it says they shake their heads and they start hurling insults at Jesus. To shake the head, it's used a variety of times in Scripture. There is this sort of this sense of, I can't believe that, that you would be so stupid as to let yourself get into this place. It's a mocking kind of thing. We read a, a little bit of that in, in uh, Jeremiah's prophecy. This, this interesting story where God says to them, look, I'm warning you. I'm going to give you a chance. And they say, don't waste your breath. We're going to continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. And so this is what the Lord says. Anyone ever heard of such a thing? Even among the pagan nations? My virgin daughter Israel has done something terrible. And you skip down to verse 16. It says, therefore, their land will become desolate. I love this translation, a monument to their stupidity. We probably have a lot. We could probably take a little bit of time and stop and talk about the, our monuments to stupidity, but we won't. All who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. What would possibly possess you to make such a stupid decision? What kind of a sinful person are you to let yourself get into this place? And they start hurling insults. What confuses me is that these are, probably, these are people passing by. These are not people who have been engaged in the story all the time. And I suspect what happens is they walk up and say, what's going on? And somebody whispers in their ear, well, Jesus, and he's trying to destroy the temple. And he's trying to ruin our lives. And he's, 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 he's a crazy man. And all of a sudden, the fervor of the crowd starts building, and there's this mob mentality. And now these people who've just been passing by start yelling at Jesus. I mean, isn't that the way a lot of things happen? One of the things that, that concerns me about how we view people who have differing opinions from us is that how quickly we can come to the place of hurling insults at them. And mocking them. You see it in the political realm. Doesn't matter what end of the spectrum. Or where on the continuum a person may be. We see it in the spiritual realm. With theological discourses. We see it in all kinds of ways. And, and what happens is. We begin to dehumanize people. I mean, the only way you can look up. At someone hanging from a cross. And yell insults at them. Is if you have dehumanized them. 
and you've demonized them. And isn't that what we do? We feel justified to say the things, to post the things that we do, because these aren't really human beings. And so we say what we want. And I think when the shadow of the cross falls on these people passing by, they look up, as, you, as we would, when you're walking down the sunny street and all of a sudden the shadows hit you, you look up to see what caused that. They look up to see the shadow falling on them. And when they see this person in pain and agony and the two people next to him in pain and agony, their response is to dehumanize them and to demonize them. Something we are tempted to. But it's not just it's not just people who mock Jesus. In Luke twenty three, he tells us that the crowd stands and watches. They aren't participating. It's the religious leaders. They're the ones who are scoffing at Jesus. They're the ones mocking Jesus. The crowd in in Luke's gospel, is just standing and watching. And I suspect that there were people who were curious and they just stood and watched and probably thought to themselves, what is wrong with those people mocking him? We would never do that. But they aren't helping either. And there's something in us that thinks if if we just withdraw... That's better than mocking, and it probably is, but it's still not the call of the gospel. There's no doubt that not doing anything is better than than doing the kinds of hurling insults of Jesus, but Jesus is pretty concerned about people who don't do anything too. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about sheep and goats and how the kingdom will be divided eternally among those who receive his rewards and those who receive punishments. And he says the difference is what you didn't do to the least of these, you did not do to me. What you didn't do condemns you. There's something in us that just doesn't want to get involved. We don't want to take the risks. Quite frankly, we don't want to feel the compassion that Jesus feels. We just want to live our lives. and I mean, they're just standing there. I'm just minding my own business. But the gospel is never about just minding our own business. It's about a world that has needs and burdens and pains and hurts and lostness. And, and need to, we need to interact and, and be a part of that. And be a presence in that. In his book, Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch, which I would highly recommend to you if you've not yet read it. It's just a small book. But he's talking about, uh, he's based on a a two-by-two chart that has four quadrants. And and it's it's about authority and vulnerability. And by authority, he means the power, the influence, the wherewithal to bring about good in the world. And by vulnerability, he means being taking risks in bringing about good in the world. And he says, when you look at the first quadrant, this is the quadrant of Jesus. This is the quadrant of flourishing. And it is people who have high authority. They have, they have the ability to make a difference in the world. And they use that authority by, for good by choosing to be highly vulnerable. And Jesus has all authority. And what does he do with it? He goes to a cross. Ultimate act of vulnerability. Quadrant two is about people who have low authority and high vulnerability. These are people in the world who have very little ability or wherewithal or influence or power to make a difference in their own lives or anybody else's life. They bear a great deal of vulnerability. They are continually at risk. And these are the people, the high majority of people in our world who we would say suffer. The fourth quadrant is in the opposite corner. And that quadrant is about people who have high authority and low vulnerability. 
They have the ability, the power, the influence, the wherewithal to do tremendous good in the world, but they don't want to take the risk. And so life just becomes about getting more authority, more authority, more power, more wealth, more influence. It's all about me. And there's no risk involved. And what ends up happening, he says, these are the people who exploit. And who do they exploit? The people who suffer. But there is that quadrant three. It's the quadrant of safety. It's low authority and low vulnerability. It's people who have said, I might have authority, but I'm not going to take it. I could exert, be vulnerable, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be safe. And Crouch says maybe one of the best examples of this is, is our is our fascination with virtual reality. You put on the goggles and and you fight battles and you save worlds and you do all these great things and you put yourself at risk and then you take the goggles off and nothing's any different. You haven't done anything. You haven't really done, you haven't risked anything and you haven't accomplished anything. But it feels like we have. But it's all facade. And I suspect that our greatest temptation is probably not to mock people in pain. Though we sometimes are tempted to do that. It might be that we withdraw from people in pain. And we just stand and watch. I understand why we do that. It's, the need is so great. The, the pain of the world, the lostness of the world is so big and so much it's overwhelming. And, and, and you can't solve every pain. You can't save every person. A month or so ago during our missions conference, we had this Wednesday night gathering where we had different rooms with with different ministries that we support and connect to. And so there was a room about ministry to Muslims and a room about ministry in Russia. Wycliffe Bible translators had a room and we had a local room where we were thinking and talking about the needs of our our community and county. And I had two thoughts in every single room. One was, it's amazing the things that people are doing. This is awesome. And the other thought was, it's almost depressing how big the need is and how little difference it seems to be making. And I walked out with that that conflicted emotion. And then I thought, but these are people doing something. And we as a church are trying to do something. And that's all we can do. We can't meet every need. We can't solve every problem. We can't bring every person into the kingdom, but we are, and we're not responsible to. What we are responsible to are the people God brings to our vision. When the shadow of the cross falls on us, what do we see when we recognize that there are people in front of us who are living lives of pain and agony and separation from God, lost, broken? What do we do? How do we respond? I think this is why prayer is so vital. Prayer is so vital. We need prayer because when we are tempted to mock, when we're tempted to dehumanize our enemies, because it's awfully difficult to dehumanize someone we're praying for. The very act of praying for someone makes them even more human, more real. It's really difficult. And we need to keep working at that. I need to keep working at that. To keep working at at praying for people who are needy and broken and people who are opposed to us and people we might be tempted to dehumanize and even demonize. But I also think prayer is vital for us about our, our temptation to withdraw. Because as we pray, we start taking on the heart of God. As we pray, we open ourselves up to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is always leading us to risk and involvement and compassion and grace. And we live in the tension between compassion and justice. Because there are all, you know, there are people, we can, we can see it, people who are simply receiving the consequences of behavior. 
And somehow we have to live in the tension between compassion and justice. And I think the tension is resolved when, whether we're talking about compassion or justice, it comes from a heart of love. Because that's God's heart. Even in Jeremiah, when God speaks this word to the people, it's not vindictiveness. It's he's trying to awaken them. Vindictiveness is an attribute of the evil one, not God. Revenge is an act of the evil one, not God. And even God's justice, as we see that and interpret that, has the intent of saving, of restoring, of awakening. And that's the line, that's the tension we live with. Compassionate justice from a heart of love. Here's the thing that struck me this week. I think our hearts might most clearly be revealed in the passing by moments of life. It's not all that difficult to treat someone with kindness when you know you're going to have an experience where you're going to need to treat that person with kindness. You plan for it, you prepare for it, you get yourself ready for it, and then you do it. It's not that hard to, to share the gospel with someone when you have prepared yourself and you know you're going to have this encounter and you're going to have this conversation and it's all geared to that and that's your destination and, and, and everything is in place and you do it. The difficult moments are when those opportunities arise unexpected. When we are encountered with people in pain, when we are encountered, we are encountered by people who we know are lost, when we are encountered by people who are struggling with life and we would rather just walk away or maybe dehumanize them. Those are the moments that reveal what's really in our hearts. Isn't that the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's a passing by story. A man is beaten and robbed and left for dead, and three men pass by, Jesus says. And the two of them that you would expect to stop don't, and the one that you would not expect to stop does. And Jesus gets done with that story and in essence says, you can tell what's in their hearts by what they did. That wasn't their destination, They didn't start on that road toward Jerusalem and say, I'm looking for a man who's been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. No. They're just going to Jerusalem. They've got something to do. They've got a place to be. They've They've got an itinerary to follow. And they are on their way, all three of them. And then all of a sudden, on the way, they pass by a man lying in the road. And in that moment... Their hearts are revealed. And Jesus tells that story because a guy says to him, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, and he asks, who's my neighbor? Because Jesus just says the greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' answer is to love God is to love your neighbor and to love your neighbor is to have compassion and grace to people you pass by. We stand in the shadow of the cross and I'll be honest with you, there is a feeling of conviction about the times when I have walked by when I should have stopped. Times when I've withdrawn, when I should have engaged. Times when even if the words didn't come out of my mouth, they were forming in my mind of mocking insults. 
And the cross, in the shadow of the cross, you feel the conviction of that. And I want to run from it, to be honest with you. Get away from it. But I also know that in the shadow of the cross, I experience grace. Because when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, who's he really talking about? Who's the guy, whose behavior is the Samaritan modeling? He's modeling Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I have the ability to pass by and help and be agents of healing and grace because God in his mercy did not pass by us. And we've been changed. And he's continually wanting us to experience that changing grace that will enable us to know the privilege and the joy of being his agents of reconciliation and hope and love and salvation in our broken, hurting, lost world. It's at the cross that we know he doesn't pass us by. And it's in the shadow of the cross that we feel and hear the call to see and to be and to do his work. Father, thank you Thank you for not passing us by, even though you had every right to. Thank you for giving us the privilege and the vision to be your agents in this world. Open our eyes to see you and to see others. In the grace of Christ. Amen.
Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.